Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available... On digital, Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to the Science of Success. Introducing your host, Matt Bodner. Welcome to the Science of Success, the number one evidence-based growth podcast on the internet with more than 4 million downloads and listeners in over 100 countries. In this episode, we discuss how to make the most important decisions in your life and business. Where should you spend your time? How do you evaluate different opportunities? Are you focused on creating wealth or income? And which is more important for you? Should you make a big change in your career or industry? We dig into all of these important questions and give you the tools to answer them with our legendary guest, Roland Frazier. I was recently closing a big software deal and I was thinking about how the lessons and themes from the science of success have been so valuable to me as an investor and business owner. I realized that I'm leaving a lot of value that I could be creating for you the listeners on the table. I believe that many of the things that we teach on the science of success are some of the biggest and most important business success factors today. To that end, we're launching a new science of success segment focused on business. These episodes will air every other Tuesday and will not interrupt your regularly scheduled science of success programming. Everything we teach on the show can be applied to achieving success in your business life. And now we're going to show you how to do that along with some interviews of the world's top business experts. So with that, I hope you enjoy this business focused episode of the science of success. Are you a fan of the show? And have you been enjoying the content that we put together for you? If you have, I would love it if you signed up for our email list. We have some amazing content on there along with a really great free course that we put a ton of time into called How to Create Time for What Matters Most in Your Life. If that sounds exciting and interesting and you want a bunch of other free goodies and giveaways along with that, just go to successpodcast.com. You can sign up right on the homepage. 
That's successpodcast.com. Or if you're on your phone right now, all you have to do is text the word SMARTER, that's S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222. In our previous episode, we discussed crazy research that can predict 94% of the time whether or not your relationship will be successful. We revealed why you should never give someone unsolicited advice. We shared the communication Swiss army knife that you can use to build rapport, influence anyone, and deepen the most important relationships in your life, and much more with our previous guest, Michael S. Sorensen. If you want to improve the most important relationships in your life, listen to our previous episode. Now for our interview with Roland. Today, we have another epic guest on the show, Roland Frazier. Roland is a serial entrepreneur who's founded, scaled, and sold dozens of different businesses. He's currently CEO of the War Room Mastermind, where he advises over 150 major companies and a principal in digitalmarketer.com, among several other online businesses. Roland has experienced business success in several industries, including real estate, law, publishing, consulting, and many others. He's worked with major companies, including Microsoft, Infusionsoft, HarperCollins, and Uber, and many more. Roland, welcome to the Science of Success. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate you having me here. Well, I'm super excited to have you on the show today. You know, I'm a huge fan of you and your work and everything that you've done. And you have a truly innovative and, and unique perspective on business strategy and growing businesses and growing companies. And so there's so many insights that we can share with the listeners today that I think are going to be really, really interesting. I love it. So I'd love to start out with something that uh, that you shared with me, this notion, this idea of uh, the concept of lateral thinking and how it's something that seems sort of esoteric and, uh, you know, out of a, an obscure book from the, however long, you know, 1960s or whenever Edward de Bono wrote that, that's actually a really uh, interesting and innovative business concept. Yeah, it really is. I, I mean, if it's simply it for me just kind of came about as realizing over time that the things that seemed to be the biggest breakthroughs I had came from applying things that I saw in other places in unexpected ways or to unexpected applications. Does that make sense? Yeah, that totally makes sense. So that's kind of what where it came from for me. And then I read a bunch of his books. He's got that guy can write a ton of books. I'll yeah, he's that. written a lot. Oh, my gosh. And but just generally, it, it seems like that's a, a really good way to to find innovative solutions to things that uh, that might not seem to to readily embrace solutions. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about what you know, how do you actually apply something like lateral thinking to solving a particular business problem? That's a really good question. I have uh, systematized parts of that. So I, I take uh, what I like to do is create models and frameworks. So I will, for example, for business model innovation, that one I just identified that there were, I was like, okay, well, how many business models are there? There can't be that many. And when you boil it all down, there's there's roughly 14 business models and there's roughly 14 pricing models. And so just charting those out, I, I created a business model innovation map and uh, charted out the different uh, kind of a primary, tertiary, a primary, secondary, and tertiary models for business and how can you overlay those in different applications for different businesses and then mix and match pricing models with them with them as well and it's pretty cool because you can take that and come up with you can deconstruct somebody else's business models like Uber or Airbnb or somebody like that and then say i wonder if we applied that to our business and then you can start swapping in and out all the different business models and so that's kind of a 
a structured way to think laterally, I believe. That's something that I think it's, it's such an interesting skill set that you have to be able to take these models and create these frameworks that you can sit down and apply to your business. And you know, that's one of the things when I went to the uh, the intensive that you put on was so interesting to see, okay, these are actual like canvases that you can sit down, you can map out, you know, who are my customers? What are the pricing models? What are the business models? And right. actually apply those. Right. Yeah. It's because otherwise it's a bunch of theory. I, ju- I just finished, I'm in the process of doing that with some McKinsey stuff right now. And those guys are brilliant. I mean, they've got just some really great foundational material and insights, but then you you read it and at the end you're like yeah that was cool how do i actually implement that how do i turn that into something that that i can act on and so i think it's it's i like i i read a whole lot but i also take the time to break down what i read take notes while i'm reading and then say okay how can i actually turn this into something that will be usable and simple not not uh, require a lot of extra notes and reading and things like that. So that's, it's, it's fun though. I like the challenge of it and it really makes you master the material when you actually have to create a model that other people can use out of it. I'm doing it right now with, uh, there's a great article in one of the McKinsey quarterlies that was, I think it was called, how's your strategy, 10 strategy, 10 classic strategies that stand the test of time or something like that. And I took that and combined it with another book that some people from McKinsey wrote called Beyond the Hockey Stick. And um, and now I'm in the process of turning those into something like that as well. So I think that's really fun. And it makes me dig deeper behind every single thing that somebody says. Then I go and look at, well, where, where did they say they got it from? And then what does that say? And then where did that come from? And where did that? And so that that third, fourth, fifth order of resource materials to really dig down to the primary sources and then go back into um, something that can be a, a a different version that is applicable. Yeah, that's such a great point of digging back into the primary sources and trying to figure that out. Because, you know, I'd, I'd love to figure out how, I mean, I'm obviously somebody who's, who's a voracious reader and, and learner as well. And, you know, the ability to, to take what you've learned and actually turn it into actionable frameworks that you can then implement is something that I think I'm, I'm okay at. I think you're amazing at what's enabled you to, to be able to translate those theory and those ideas into such simple and usable uh, canvases or frameworks for people. I think it, it's, it's three things. It's, it's the first thing being, being willing to dive down to the, to the fundamental, pr- fundamental principles and the primary research, then uh, having experienced so many failures and a few successes in business and uh, and watching other folks so that so that your universe of applied models is very, very broad so that you can you can say, okay, well, in I have had exposure to an applied version of this, and I can overlay the model on all of the different experiences that I've had in a kind of reverse case study method and then then taking that synthesized model and applying a familiarity with models themselves so research down to the base then take a a wide variety of actual experiences that you've had and overlay the fundamental like the draft version of the model on that 
and then say, okay, what other models have I seen that I can use and draw from to shape this? You know, is it a quadrant model? Is it a compass model? Is it a matrix? Is it a canvas? Is it a map? Is it, you know, so on and so forth. And then you're just, you're like, okay, well, that, that doesn't really fit in that, but might fit here. Ah, no, let me tweak that. And, and I think that's, it's those three things that really lead you to be able to do that. The, the point about multidisciplinary thinking and, and, and being able to cross-apply broad experience from lots of different fields, lots of different industries, lots of different things is such a great uh, tool. And that's another skill set that I feel like is really undervalued in today's business world. Mm-hmm. I agree 100%. I want to jump around a little bit and and explore some other topics because I think we've, we've dug in a little bit some of the thinking strategies that you can use that might be able to take your business in a, in a new level or a different direction that you wouldn't otherwise uh, see. Sure. Tell me about, you know, one of the things that, that you've been writing about recently and talking about that I found really interesting as somebody who's, uh, you know, an investor and business owner, this whole notion that you've been talking about recently, this idea of the long and the short. Can you explain that concept and principle and, and, and share a little bit about it? Yeah, it, it really hit me in uh in 2015 we were doing an an e-commerce related event called content and commerce and we were sitting in the green room and i was talking to ezra firestone who's a really smart uh business person who is running a a business called boom by cindy joseph which is a like a skincare uh product for older women and we were talking about kind of what he was doing. And, and he said, I'm playing the long game here and I'm looking to build a, a business that's going to get picked up in 10 years. And we were talking about the challenges of those businesses that are e-commerce in that you buy more inventory, you sell it. Now you have to buy more inventory, but you don't have enough money because you sold that inventory. And if you could only buy that amount again, it'd be fine. But now you have to buy more if you want to grow. And then you also have to buy more media than you bought before to sell the inventory. And then you have to have more people to help you to manage the process of buying the media and selling the inventory and serving the customers that you've got. And it's just this hamster wheel because it, it just cycles over and over and over. And the numbers get bigger and bigger, but all of your profit is really tied up in the company for for years and years and years. And so we were talking about how you address that. And he said, you know, well, I, what I've had to do is I, I have my, I started a mastermind and I started the, um, I started, uh, an app company based on just some needs that I had because I needed to generate income because I've got, I'm making good profits in this other business, but I really don't have any money. And it made me start thinking about, well, you're playing the long game, but you also have to play a short game at the same, same time because, if you play only the long game, and I've seen it over the years, I watched people buy real estate in particular, and they call it land banking. So I'm going to buy all this real estate, and then you'll hear people say, well, I'm cash poor, but real estate rich, or I'm cash poor, but I'm business rich. But then when, when any little thing happens that requires cash, they can be screwed because now these land rich people or business rich people who have no cash have a very immediate need for the cash and don't have the ability to get it from anywhere except prematurely liquidating the other assets that they've got. Their long game gets kind of torpedoed so that they can have this cash. And so, and then I'm thinking, well, there, there's another side of people that you see that are primarily focused on income. 
And the long game people are primarily focused on wealth, but this other, and I think it's, it's a larger amount of people that I see that are focused on the short instead of the long, but on the short, it's how can I make more higher revenues so that I can make more profits so that I can have more cash to live on, to uh, enjoy the subscription economy that we've got now to, you know, to do fun things, whatever, but they do that at the at the cost of sacrificing the wealth that could be built up. And so they, and, and you see this even in wall street, right? That, that the rush to quarterly earnings reports to meet analyst expectations causes people to make decisions that are not good long-term decisions because they're trying to affect the stock price in the short run, which improves their compensation in the form of bonuses but doesn't necessarily, and many of these people own significant options in these companies, doesn't improve the overall shareholder value of the company that they're in. So they're sacrificing the long for the short. So you got people who are long focused that need short because not having the short damages their long game. And you have short people who, and this is where I, I coined that term dancing bear. You have people that are, that are dancing for their income and as long as they can perform, the income is going to be thrown at them. But if they're not also building a long-term wealth asset that will generate generate income without them, then when the music stops, they're left without a seat and they're in trouble. So both of those things, when when you put them side by side, when you juxtapose those two things, it's it's you have to be in balance. And so um, a lot of people, a lot of people are not in that balance. And so that to me is, is the long and the short and, and finding your balance and focusing. If you find yourself tilted too much towards the short, then you need to be thinking, what's my long game. If you find yourself tilting too much towards the long game. You need to think about how can I do the short? And then when you and I were talking about it, it, it occurred to me, you know, I, I said, this is, it's like golf, right? You can drive a ball 500 yards every time, but if you can't putt and use your wedges, then you're not going to be a good golfer overall. You're not going to have a good score. If you're really good with putting and you're really good with uh, the irons, then it, but you can't drive, you're never going to get far enough down the fairway to have an opportunity to play the short before you've run out of, uh, of acceptable strokes to hit par. So it's, it's really important to balance. Yeah, I thought that was a great analogy, the way you brought golf into it and and explained how you need both of those pieces to really be a successful business person. You know, the thing that that I'm so curious about, it, because I, I, you know, personally, it's so easy for me to fall into the trap of just reinvesting everything in the company and, you know, always well, we should just be reinvesting our earnings. You know, we should never be taking money out. It should all be going into growth. You know, how do you think about, especially as somebody who's involved in so many different businesses, balancing your time between those two activities. So the long-term, the wealth building, the wealth creation, and then the time and energy that it takes to you know gear up and execute some of these shorter-term wealth or I guess income creation strategies, which I want to dig into as well. So, you know, some examples of what those might be. Yeah, I think it, it's you approach it similarly to uh, an asset allocation strategy with a portfolio in that you want to be diversified among non-correlated industries if you have a, a stock portfolio so that if one goes up the others don't uh, the others don't at the same time go up but but at to the good if one goes down the others don't also all go down so I, I look at it that way so I think it's it's a balance of just being aware of dividing your time 
so that you have the short game enough you have the short game income enough sufficient enough to generate what you need to support the long plus the lifestyle that you want i think that's the simple way to do it is okay i need $30,000 a month to fund my real estate portfolio and grow it at the rate that i want to or my company that i want to grow supplemented with my lifestyle as well which is going to cost me $15,000 a month. So if let's say one costs 15 that you're going to put towards the investing and 15 that you're going to put towards your lifestyle, then some combination of your efforts and your long-term wealth assets has to be generating enough to support the wealth assets and your lifestyle and be building a cushion. So that, that to me is, is the easy way to kind of chart that out. And if you find yourself in the surplus side of income, then you really got to get on the long. If you find yourself overly invested in the long so that it's really, ju you're just kind of scraping by to fund the long and you're not living the lifestyle that you want, then you need to slant your efforts more towards the short until those balance out. That's a great formula. And I love the inclusion of even making sure that lifestyle is in there as well and balancing your investing needs, your lifestyle needs, have a little bit of cushion in there. And then see where you stack up on the formula and uh, and then figure out how you want to allocate your time. Yeah, and if you think about that, that's that's something that I saw. I was flying uh, I was flying on a flight somewhere sometime and I was listening to the guy behind me talking to somebody. And he was an older gentleman. He's probably 85 years old. And he was telling the person sitting next to him, who I'm not sure if they wanted to hear it or not, but, they, but he was talking a lot no matter what. And he said, uh, he said, yeah, he said, when I was young... I scrimped and scraped and I had old beat up cars and I lived in uncomfortably small apartments in the bad area of town. But now, you know, since, since now I'm, I'm 80 some years old and I'm able to have a nice car that I want to have and I'm able to have this and this. And he's like, and all those people when I was young, when I didn't have anything and, I, and it was really, really tough and tight uh, and I was sacrificing everything so that I'd have the ability to have some nicer lifestyle when I was older. And he wasn't like super wealthy or anything. He was just talking about having a, a late model, you know, car, the late model Toyota or something like that. It was funny to me because I think that, I think that it, it, for him, what if, what if tomorrow didn't come? What if something happened? What if he got hit by a car? My aunt got hit by a car in the middle of a crosswalk while she was on a morning run and was killed. Um, what if she, what if he got cancer and died? My wife got, got diagnosed with stage four thyroid cancer and was told she had 90 days to live. I mean, that stuff happens, right? We, I watch this all the time. A buddy of mine just last week, uh, was in a wheelchair. He fell over, hit his head and died. And I'm not saying all that stuff to be more, but I'm just saying life is so fragile. And if you're always living for today, tomorrow, and then, then you risk that tomorrow will come. <laughs> And if you always live for tomorrow, then you risk that that day never comes. And so to me, he never had that, this guy in the plane never had the opportunity to drive the cool car or wear the cool clothes or have any cool experiences while he was young. And now he's 80 some years old and he's unable to have some of those experiences he could have had. And it was highly possible that he wouldn't have made it to that age because the odds are not that most of us live that long. 
And so I think that's that's it. Is it's it's all balance, which sounds really simple until you see how easy it is to get out of balance because everybody that I know and and you know I fight with this too. It's it's opportunity. So here's an income opportunity and here's an income opportunity and here's an income opportunity and then you're in the income opportunity flow. So those so people start saying, you know, oh, well you could do that and and you could apply that in this industry and how about if we partner up on this? And then before you know it, you're all short and you got no long. And the same thing with long, you get into real estate or buying businesses or investing and you're socking it all away for tomorrow and you're, and you're acquiring these long-term wealth assets, which is really smart, but then something happens and all of it falls down as like, you see this with real estate developers a whole lot too, as the market's uh, improve in real estate. They go out and they borrow as much as they can and they leverage, 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 leverage. And then the market invariably goes down because markets are cyclical. And, and they're like, what, you know, it goes down too. I've never seen this happen except for five years ago and 10 years ago and eight years ago. You know, it's like, it is something that we see over and over and over. So we have to be ever vigilant, I think, to think about both the long and the short, or we will find ourselves way out of balance in favor of one or the other. Yeah, that's such great advice. And especially the part about life being so fragile, it's so easy to get caught up in, in at least for me personally, thinking about tomorrow and always being heads down. And and sometimes you got to pull out a little bit and and think about enjoying life and, and you know, living in the moment. That that reminds me of something else that you said once that I thought was really really interesting, which is this this notion of and it's uh, very related to this, but this notion of hustling and the the culture of hustle that we have today. Tell me what do you you know do you think people should be hustling or how do you feel about hustle? I think that you should be hustling. I just don't think you should be hustling all the time. I believe that that a failure to stop and rest and recharge yourself, or a failure to stop and think is is becoming an increasing challenge as we have heavy hustle 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 advocates like Gary V who's a smart guy and who's a good guy and I think gives some good advice that lifestyle though that he has chosen and the pace that he chooses to go at I just don't think it's right for everybody and I think if you if you're super passionate about what you're doing and you just can't stop and you're dedicated to it then you will do that at the cost of other things in your life. And it might be at the cost of your health because you're running too fast and you end up just wearing yourself down or you're running too fast. And to continue the pace, you need to find substances that will increase your ability to run at that pace. And that turns out generally not to be good. Or you just sacrifice your relationships because your family doesn't have enough time and your friends don't, you, you don't have enough time for your family and you don't have enough time for your friends. And so you lose those relationships and your kids grow up without ever really getting to know you. And, you know, you distance yourself from your husband or your wife or your girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever. And then those relationships fall apart. And if you look at Steve Jobs and Elon Musk and a lot of these super, super successful people that were really driven and really changed the world, uh, or are changing the world, a lot of them have chosen to do that at the cost of their personal relationships. And I think preaching that without talking about the other side of that can, I think it's one-sided. I think that it can, it can really cost a lot of people who are looking up to those people and saying, 
you know, Damon John, I want to hustle and grind or Gary V hustle, 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 or, you know, Grant Cardone, I think is no days off, right? Those are, those are philosophies, but they, they do come at, at quite a cost. And if I layer on top of that, and all of those people are successful by many people's definition, but if you layer on top of that, a, what are you really doing to innovate? If, if innovation is important to you, if you want to, to really do things differently and maybe add something more than what's already been done, then you have to take time to think. And if you, if you're always hustling, then there's no time to think. And there's so much that will fill up our lives in uh, terms of all of the media and input and stimuli that are present all the time, demanding our attention, the phones vibrating and the, you know, everything else. I think that it, um, it, it really costs you the ability to have the time to think. That's such a great point. And, and something that we've come across again and again on this show is this notion of what uh, they call in the research contemplative routines and yes. taking the time to actually step back to, to step away from the flow of things and the constant reactivity and really assess, okay, what am I spending my time on? What are my goals? What are my priorities? And it's such a critical activity. And if you look at high achievers, almost universally, they have some sort of contemplative practice that they build into their lives. Right, exactly. And I don't know that Gary Vee doesn't have that, or I do know that, I don't know that Damon John doesn't have that, or Gary Vee, or Grant Cardone for that matter, but, but we don't see it. And that which leads to the other part of that. I don't know. Like I do know that Tim Ferriss works more than four hours a week, right? Yeah. So you have the four hour work week. That's cool. And it's a great title. And I don't think he ever said in there, I only work four hours a week, but he loves what he does. And he's a very passionate learner and, and doer and, and executor of things. But I think that the, the, what I have seen, I've been fortunate enough to see is that the Instagram representation of our lives and the Facebook, the social media representation of our lives is seldom the full picture. And yet when somebody's on, on social all the time saying, grind, 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 no days off, go, 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 push. Um, and people are thinking, I have to do that. Then they're going to miss out on, on a lot of stuff. And the people that are doing that, I believe that those people are sincere in trying to help people realize that, by the way, this entrepreneur thing, it's freaking hard. It's not easy. It requires hustle. It requires dedication. It requires sometimes no days off, but not all the time. And so if you see that all the time, you can get maybe the wrong, the wrong idea of how all of those people are actually living their lives. Yeah, it's such a great point. And I mean, there's research ad infinitum about how social media makes you less happy and all that other stuff. But we don't right. even we don't need to go further down that uh, down that right. rabbit hole. I'm really curious. And this this is a corollary of all the things we've talked about so far. But as somebody who is involved in so many different businesses, what are the things that you use to guide your time? How do you think about what's going to be the highest leverage and most valuable use of your time? And when you're looking across the myriad opportunities that you have in front of you. Yeah, it, it um, it's really funny because I, I just recently heard, heard something that formalized the way that I think, which is, are you familiar with the Eisenhower matrix? 
Is that like urgent versus importance? Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I just recently heard heard that, and I, and I said, and I thought that's very similar to how I've thought without ever turning it into a model. But to me, unless it is also urgent and important, it generally doesn't interrupt anything else that I'm doing, and it receives it receives my highest priority if it's urgent and important. But I can't tell you how many times I just, you know, if the world will demand 400% of your time, particularly once you get busy and have some level of whatever we call success. And so I have found that, that it is very important to me to manage the amount of, of demands on my time by not taking on too many opportunities. And I love opportunity. But as Steve Jobs said, it's easy to drown in opportunity. So I I look at what I've got on my plate right now and say, can I do this extra thing? And if this extra thing is a once in a lifetime opportunity, which I joke come around three or four times a year, then I'm going to try really hard to fit it in. But if it's not, it's very often, unless I have extra time, and I'm passionate about it, and it looks fun, and I like the people who are involved. I got that. that that's that's actually a good a good thing to talk about. Is uh, a friend of a friend of mine who's a war remember, Mark Anthony Bates. Uh, he he calls it PFM, People Fun Money. If you don't like the people, and it's not fun, and it's not going to have a return on investment, then say no. So I like that. I adopt that filter wholeheartedly. And on top of that, then I say, is it going to move the needle for me in terms of what I want to accomplish in life and financially at the same time, because I look at, at money as, as freedom. And if it's not, then I frequently say no. If it's something that is a maybe for later, I say not now. And that's something that's helped me a lot because we never want to say no because that's cutting off opportunity. But I found if I say not now, I just can't do it right now. If it's still around when I have bandwidth or if it's still around when, uh, when it's a little more mature or, it's, uh, or, or I have more time or whatever, then, then I'm happy to look at it then. But it's not now currently. And that's been really helpful. So I think that combination of people fund money plus once in a lifetime opportunity that comes along three or four times a year and um, will move the needle for me and my personal desires and financially. And I can't say not now to it, <laughs> then that's, that's going to be, I'm really going to take that on. But other than that, I know that even in the last week I've turned down four or five really cool things, but I had to, because otherwise I would have been out of balance in my time and I would have been out of balance in my short and long. And then there were things that they didn't meet that like uh, some, one of them was going to make me a ton of money, but it just didn't sound fun. And, uh, one of them, I was like, it looks like a good opportunity, but there's some people involved in it that, you know, that are a little sketchy. <laughs> and so that helps a lot. I don't know if that's a good answer. That's kind of a live thought process of how I go through doing that. But that combination of, of, uh, of things layered out in the important and urgency thing is, is pretty much the, 
the thing that I should probably put into a framework so I can explain it better. <laughs> no, that was great. That was really helpful. And even just the idea of saying not now, because it makes it softer on you. So it feels like you're not cutting off the opportunity and it makes it soft on the other person. So it's not just a, a hard no. Um, I think that's a great way to look at it. And you, you, you said a phrase a minute ago, which is, which is a great concept that I've heard you share before as well, which is this notion that the once in a lifetime opportunity comes around two or three times a year. And addendum to that, that I've heard you add as well is, if you're asking for it, right? Which is, especially if you're looking at deals and, and we haven't talked a lot about deal making, but you're an incredible deal maker. You've done so many interesting transactions. <laughs> How do you think about the importance of asking for things and, and making the ask and you know being advantageous in the way that you sort of position and, and that whole idea? Well, just, just generally, it, it's funny because I'm, I'm not refined enough or, or smart enough to realize that I shouldn't be asking for a lot of the things I ask for. I I'm, I'm not afraid to ask. So I will ask inappropriate questions like, you know, well, how much is your business doing? Blah, blah, blah. You know, and I'm not asking because I'm a jerk. I'm asking because it's information that will help me know, can I help this person? Can I refer them to somebody? Is that, are they, are they, doing well at it within the range of things that the data set that I have of how these businesses should be performing or, or not, you know, and then, and then you can help people. So I think the first thing is being very inquisitive and, and almost childlike in that, that you're not letting the social mores of what you shouldn't be asking get in the way of, of finding out the data to start with. Then it's the no harm in asking the general no harm in asking rule, which we in the South is, you know, no harm in asking, but, um, <laughs> we, uh, and, and that goes to everything from hotel upgrades, which is a, a fun hobby of mine, trying to get ho hotel upgrades to deals when you're, when you're in the negotiation room and you're having the conversation and you see what you, what you want to achieve. If you don't ask for it, it sure as heck, most of the time isn't going to be offered to you. So I think that's really important. And then if you layer over that Benjamin Franklin's uh, from his autobiography about, uh, to me, one of the best things in negotiating is when you can, uh, when you can have someone else suggest the solution that you are trying or the outcome that you're trying to achieve and it's their idea or when they do suggest it, it is their idea and then there's a hundred percent buy-in, and so you have an advocate instead of an adversary. I think those those things work together to to get you farther in the deal process than if you're not doing that. And that idea from Benjamin Franklin is something that I think you previously called Socratic influencing. Tell me a little bit mm -hmm. about that. Yeah, it's it's just asking questions. So the Socratic method of asking questions instead of giving answers. It, it really, if you can in law school. So in law school. They ask you questions. They use the Socratic method. So they don't say, what is negligence? They say, when someone has a duty to someone else and breaches that duty, which then proximately causes the other party damages, would you consider that negligence? Or they'll ask you then about each of those four things, because those are the four elements to negligence, right? Duty, breach, cause, damage. And Rather, you learn more that way coming to that conclusion. Well, yeah, gosh, there is like, so one, is there a duty? There's a lady standing on a, uh, on a platform at a train station. It's old timey days. There's a candle burning in a lamp. If the lamp is knocked over, 
Could it possibly set the thing on fire and cause her damage? And if so, does one have a duty to stop against that? Well, yeah, well, maybe, you know, well, what does duty mean? And they lead you through that whole thing. So to me, when you're negotiating, if you can ask the questions that will lead the person logically to the conclusion that the thing that you're, the point that you're trying to get across is a good thing, a good next step, a good, a good process forward, then that's much more effective than saying, Hey, I want $1,500. I want to give you $1,500 for that. And I want you to sell it to me for $1,500. Okay. That's not nearly as good as, well, tell me, what do you think it's worth? Okay. Well, and, and so is it because, okay, so you said the components are this, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of people that are looking for this right now. Yeah. I mean, that's that process, not only the time and the bond of having a conversation, but the leading somebody else to the logical conclusion that you want them to have, I think is a way better way to negotiate than, than anything else. And certainly better than I watch people, you know, throw down $10 and say, take it or leave. <laughs> you know, that's, and, and $10 can be 10 million, right? It's, it's all the same. Yeah. That's such a powerful method. And it's amazing if you ask the right series of questions, how you can lead someone to a conclusion. They say, oh, yeah, we should do this. And it's like, that's exactly what I wanted you to think. It's, it is uh, absolutely magical. And, and what's more important is it makes people happy. Everybody leaves that happy. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hiring the right person takes time. Time that you often don't have. But you shouldn't let a time crunch get in the way of finding the right candidates for your business. That's why LinkedIn is the best place to post your job. In fact, I was on LinkedIn Jobs this morning looking for candidates to fill a key role in one of my businesses. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with hard and soft skills you're looking for so that you can hire the right person quickly. You can look for things like collaboration, creativity, and adaptability, looking beyond just work skills and resumes to connect you with the candidates who are a perfect match for your business. 
That's how LinkedIn makes sure that your job post gets in front of the people you actually want to hire because they have a much better ability to get a deep insight into exactly who is the right candidate for you and your business. Find the right person meant for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want, and the first $50 is on them. Just visit linkedin.com slash success. Again, that's linkedin.com slash success to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. So I want to, I want to change gears and jump around a little bit. There's one or two other topics I want to uh, ask you about okay. as somebody who operates in, in multiple different industries. How do you think about the advice? And I don't know if you've ever heard this advice or not, but have you ever heard the phrase to grow where you're planted and kind of staying within one industry vertical versus how do you think about kind of hopping to new industries or, or, or getting involved in industries that you previously haven't been involved in? I think two things about it. One is I think there is a lot to be said for this is what I'm good at. I have a friend uh, named Than Merrill. Than started in real estate. He was on Flip This House, I think, on A and E, and went into coaching people on how to how to um, invest in real estate. Has grown a huge business out of it. Has started funds for investing in real estate. He's a hundred percent in on real estate, which is a pretty broad category. So the first thing would be how narrowly are you going to define where you're planted? Because if he had to plan, if he had defined where he was planted as the host of a real estate flipping show, then that would have been pretty limiting. He naturally expanded into other things. And so now he has a real estate fund, a real estate investing, educational network and all kinds of other and real estate assets that he's invested in. So I think there's something to be said for staying in an area that you know, but I also don't feel that we're monodimensional people. So it it helps him it helps him to stay focused because it's an easy filter for him to say, is this real estate related? Is this opportunity real estate? Then we want you to go into the uh, software as a service business for restaurants, <laughs> right? He's going to say, it's not real estate, but maybe that's a great investment, but he's just decided not to do it. So I think it's, that's kind of arbitrary, but for me, I'd go crazy if I could only do real estate. Cause I don't think real estate is, I think it's wonderful, but I don't think real estate is everything that I want to know about in my life. I'm curious. And so I want to go to other places. And I think that naturally there will be things that evolve out of what you're doing that can be logical flows. I think it's hard to be in something and go into something you completely don't know with no guide, no other person who's experienced and no logical connection between the two other than now I'm going to invest in this. I haven't seen a lot of people have great success at that. However, if a guy like Than was flipping real estate and then a producer came to him and said, let's make a show out of this. And he made a show out of it and it was successful. And then he said, gosh, my friend does, uh, goes through junkyards and picks stuff out and they call it picking. And I'm wondering if maybe I, since I've seen how this whole television production of a show thing works, maybe I should invest some money with him and connect him with my buddy here. Uh, cause she's really good at producing these reality shows. That to me is a logical outgrowth of where you are. So he's still staying where planted, even though he's evolved or he's 
his leaves have grown over a fence into another yard. So I think it's a definitional thing. I don't believe that one should only do what one is, uh, is doing currently because the rule says you should just do that. I think if opportunity comes along and you're interested in it and it's logically connected to what you're doing in any way, or it's not logically connected at all, and you have a guide that you trust and you're interested in it, I think it should be okay. Yeah, that's a great piece of advice. And I love the notion of you know, having either uh, a series of logical steps that, that you start to learn about adjacent and, and, and relevant industries, or if you have a business partner or a guy that's already very wise about that industry or has the connections, relationships, et cetera, it's a great way to plug in. Yeah. If you're going to climb another mountain, you typically have a Sherpa, right? The guide. If you have a Sherpa to climb the next mountain, you should be okay. Yeah, great advice. So one other kind of rapid fire question, how do you think about, you know, you're somebody who you were behind the scenes for a long time and you you skyrocketed your personal brand. How do you think about branding yourself and and what drove that desire to expand your personal brand? It's a great question. I, I think that what helped me with that is watching the watching what I felt the importance was of personal brands of several business icons we know to help support their businesses and also to give them opportunities to do other things. So Richard Branson is a fantastic example with Virgin. Virgin isn't Richard Branson. It will survive without him. If he were to go away, it would still be Virgin and it would still have its own reputation independent of him. Apple clearly did. And Apple has only become even more valuable since Steve Jobs left, even though people might complain, well, he's not there and this isn't Steve Jobs, Apple. And Microsoft with Bill Gates and uh, Martha Stewart Living and Oprah and uh, Sarah Blakely with Spanx, right? There's all these people who have started businesses that, that are propped up by the founder or the spokesperson for the business or even not the founder in the case of Ray Kroc, right? He was not the founder, but he was the spokesperson. And that just really, just really when I thought about all that, I said, I need to also be the spokesperson for the businesses that I'm involved in. And if I don't do that, then I am not fully serving the businesses because I can add additional value to them by being an advocate for them and having a personality, particularly in this time when it doesn't take that much effort to be a personality, right? I mean, it was way harder in Croc's day with McDonald's. You actually had to be really seeking out media and media was so constrained compared to now. All we have to do is point our little iPhone at us and record a message and hit post and you're, you know, congratulations, you're, you're a spokesperson. So for me, it was just seeing how beneficial I felt it was for, you know, for Elon Musk and all of those types of people to be spokespeople for their companies. And I decided I wanted to be a spokesperson for, for the business interests I had. And I also wanted to use it to generate additional deal flow. And it's harder to, make connections with people if you're always behind the scenes. Yeah. I mean, I almost view it as in today's world, instead of having a resume, it's like, what is your, what's your digital presence? What's your digital resume? And, I think that's a great way to look at it. I love that. You know, just say, Hey, Google me. You know, if you want to see who I am, if you want to see what I've done, just, right. just look me up. 
Right, exactly. And and then you have social proof and third-party credibility all in one. I, I like that. I think that's great. I like it as the modern resume. So for somebody who's been listening to us, and we've, we've touched on a lot of different themes and ideas, what would be one kind of concrete piece of homework that you would give them to begin implementing some concept that we've discussed today or one of the ideas we've talked about? <laughs> that's a hard one. I, I think that the the of all the things that we talked about for most people, time management is the is the number one challenge. So I think that 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 idea of of determining what are you going to spend your time on, and we talked about it across a lot of different things. We talked about it as stay grow where you're planted. So should you allocate your time to the place that you're planted now, or should you go to the next place? Does it make you happy? Do you run the filters that we talked about? People, fun, money, uh, important, urgent over that. Is it going to, is where you're planted right now, both the short and the long? Or are you planted firmly in the long or firmly in the short and you need to grow over the fence into the other? Um, I, th- I think I actually like how it all fits together because it does all fit together. And so, so I think it would just be re-listening to this and then writing down each of the five or six different categories of things we talked about, finding the commonalities and then looking at them in their constituent parts and saying, uh, okay, this thing has three pieces. This thing has four pieces. This thing has two pieces. How do all these pieces fit together and get me to where I want to be that I will be happy enjoying myself, working with the people that I'm interested in working with, moving the needle and having whatever level of financial and business success I want to have. And, um, if you did that, you'd have something that actually what we talked about forms a pretty cool, cohesive model. Yeah. It's, it's really funny. I mean, we began the conversation talking about thinking strategies and, and multidisciplinary, multidisciplinary thinking and, uh, and, and mental models. And it comes all the way back. I mean, any challenge you have in life, if you develop these broad analytical thinking and reasoning skills, they can apply to solving and helping you navigate really anything that you're dealing with. Yeah, they really can. So Roland, what is the best place for people to find you and all the projects you're involved with online? I am a few places. I have my own podcast called Business Lunch, so you can find me there. You're going to be on it soon. I'm excited. I have uh, RolandFraser.com and then WarRoomMastermind.com. We have uh, that kind of tells you a lot of the things we're involved in and a lot of the people we're working with. Uh, the companies, digitalmarketer.com, our event, traffickingconversionsummit.com, those are all great places. And then, of course, I'm, I'm everywhere on social because we all need to be. Well, Roland, thank you so much for coming on the show, for sharing all this wisdom, uh, so many nuggets and great ideas and, and things for the listeners to take home and implement. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to The Science of Success. We created this show to help you, our listeners, master evidence-based growth. I love hearing from listeners. If you want to reach out, share your story, or just say hi, shoot me an email. My email is matt at successpodcast.com. That's M-A-T-T at successpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I read and respond to every single listener email. I'm going to give you three reasons why you should sign up for our email list today by going to successpodcast.com, signing up right on the homepage. There's some incredible stuff that's only available to those on the email list, so be sure to sign up, including 
an exclusive curated weekly email from us called Mindset Monday, which is short, simple, filled with articles, stories, things that we found interesting and fascinating in the world of evidence-based growth in the last week. Next, you're getting an exclusive chance to shape the show, including voting on guests, submitting your own personal questions that we'll ask guests on air, and much more. Lastly, you're going to get a free guide we created based on listener demand, our most popular guide, which is called How to Organize and Remember Everything. You can get it completely for free, along with another surprise bonus guide by signing up and joining the email list today. Again, you can do that at successpodcast.com, sign up right at the homepage, or If you're on the go, just text the word SMARTER, S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222. Remember, the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to a friend, either live or online. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us an awesome review and subscribe on iTunes because that helps boost the algorithm that helps us move up the iTunes rankings and helps more people discover the science of success. Don't forget, if you want to get all the incredible information we talk about in the show, links, transcripts, everything we discuss, and much more, be sure to check out our show notes. You can get those at successpodcast.com. Just hit the show notes button right at the top. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Science of Success. Success.